So anyway, hallelujah. God's faithful. So Lord, we just come again in the name of Jesus. And by the way, Miranda's healed by the stripes of Jesus, even though she's got a tickle in her voice and stuff like that. But it's, it's departing in Jesus' name. At least, it makes you cough, doesn't it, Judy? We've been thinking about it. New phase? Oh, I thought you said new phase. Okay. All righty. So anyway, we're healed. Everybody say, I'm healed. So Father, we thank you that we can gather tonight in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word, that it's living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We ask your blessing upon this time that everything that's said and done will bring you glory and honor. We just thank you for your goodness and for your love. We thank you for the opportunity to serve you. We thank you that we have the privilege of being a part of the body of Christ. Thank you for your, your many blessings and, that are upon us, Father, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Bless this time together. Have your way in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in... Uh, Chronicle, not Chronicles, Colossians, the third chapter. And uh, we got started there, well, two weeks ago or whatever it was. And, uh, <clears throat> and then basically the title of this chapter is Demonstrating the Christian Life. And so um, last week, we, or two weeks ago, we started and uh, we covered the first four verses that we're looking at the challenges of living the Christian life. And, um, and we got through all four of those verses. And then we got started in the second section was um, the objective of Christian, uh, the Christian life. And so we looked at the first verses there in that section five through seven where it talked about mortifying the, or putting to death the deeds of the flesh. And so let's just go ahead and read those verses real quick. It says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanliness, uh, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon those, these of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, or when you lived in the flesh. So when we were in the flesh, we, we walked in these things. But now we're going to go ahead and we're going to move on to the eighth verse. And uh, the eighth verse talks about <clears throat> uh, the command uh, to put off. And so it says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. And so he says, we're to put these things off. And in fact, in the context of it, um, it's a command. And so reading that out of the literal, which you have on your notes, it's the literal translation, which includes um, the Greek words, so that if you want to look it up for yourself, you can do that. It says, but, <clears throat> but now. In other words, he's talking about a change of attitude. But now. You were this but now, you know, and so it's really important for us to, to understand, you know, when, when something comes against us that we don't identify with the past. We recognize, but now, you know, 
I've put off the flesh. You know, he's going to, we're going to talk tonight about putting on the new man. And so we need to see ourselves that way. And it begins with our attitude. You know, and that's why the Word of God is so important. It's the Word of God that determines our attitude. Um, you know, we can, we can know a truth intellectually, but that truth doesn't necessarily change us because we've got we've to change our heart. And it, and it changes from the inside. And so that's where our attitude changes take place. You know, <clears throat> really, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's a matter of the heart. Where, what are we drawn from? Are we drawn from the flesh or are we drawn from the spirit? And so it says, um, but now, change of attitude. Ye also put off, put aside or away, put it away from you. All these or everything, these things, anger, which is indignation, wrath, uh, explosions of anger, um, violent outbursts, all of those things we can put aside. You know, we can say, well, that's, you know, that's just kind of how my family is. You know, you know, my mom and my dad was that way. My grandparents that were that way. We just kind of explode. Well, put it off. You know, have a change in an attitude. You know, begin to see yourself as being different, that, that you can you can deal with things differently. You say, well, pastor, I don't know if that's, if that's possible. <clears throat> we have this coffee table in our basement. And uh, we, we don't use it anymore. That's why it's in the basement. Uh, but it was a really nice coffee table when we got it. Uh, but on the top of it, there's this really big gash. Now, it wasn't Jeff or Aaron or any of the other kids that did it. I was working on something one day. I don't remember what it was. I think it was a chair or something. And it wasn't, hap it wasn't going together right. And so I had an outburst of anger. And the, the consequence of that was very severe because Pastor Becky was not ha happy at all that her coffee table had a big gash in the top of it. I mean, we refinished it. I tried sanding it out, but it would have had to go too deep. You know, uh, but, but I had to have a change in attitude. And of course, it didn't happen until after I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You know, and so I don't consider myself to be an angry person anymore. I mean, I might have things that anger me and so forth, but I don't have my little fits that I used to have. You know, when I was plumbing, I worked for this plumber. We were doing a Catholic church in New Ulm, Minnesota, and, and we were doing the heating, and it was in the dead of winter. I mean, it was cold outside, and, and, and because we had straw all over the place because to keep the ground from freezing because we still had to do some groundwork and so forth. And of course, I had to work over my head, and you know, the boss I worked for, he was too cheap to buy ladders, and so what I had was, I had this, this mud board. It was, you know, a square thing uh, that stood about this high with a uh, piece of plywood on top of it that could take, take it off, which the, 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 the bricklayers would use, and they'd put their mud on it, and they'd, they'd take it from there, and then, you know, then they could back it off and so forth. Well, that's what I was standing on, working over my head. And, uh, you know, it wasn't real solid because we were on straw and everything. And I'm trying to get it done. All of a sudden, 
it just flipped out from underneath me. And when it flipped out, it flew up in the air. And I'm laying there on my back, and I'm literally, this thing flew up over me, and I'm, I wouldn't be able to do this today. I kind of wish I could do it today. But I was literally kicking it like, you know, you ever seen a dog when it's, or a, probably more like a seal when it's batting a ball in the air? That's what I was doing. And, and uh, I looked up, and here's this guy. Remember, I'm working on a Catholic church. And he's looking over the edge, and the expression on his face is just absolutely unbelievable. I can just imagine. I, that, that's a fit of anger. You know, that's the point that I want you to see. That is what a fit of anger is. And, but, but we can be set free of that. You know, so whatever your little fit is, God can set you free from it. To say that, I can't help it. It's a, it's a decision. It's getting something on the inside of you that produces something differently, different on the outside of you. And so fits of anger, outbursts, um, malice, vengeance, the desire to defame or injure others, blasphemy, um, slander of others, filthy communications, filthy language, obscenities, saying those things ought not to come out of our mouth. And again, remember, I said, this, this, is a, this is a command that he's given us. And so oftentimes, you know, because, you know, two weeks ago when we were going through those first verses, it was talking about sexual sin and so forth. And oftentimes we look at it and we, we always look at those sins that are overt or those sins that are, a, are, are an action or whatever. But here he's talking about the, the sins that are inward, that we can begin to change them so that they don't ever have the opportunity to express themselves outwardly. But notice what he says. He says this sin is clothing that we need to take off, or it's like clothing that we remove. You know, the thing about it is, is what he's saying is, it isn't that difficult. We always say, the, the things that we have to deal with in life, the, 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 the sin that so easily besets me or the, the habits that I've uh, established in my life and so forth, we say, well, they're so difficult, it's so hard. Well, he says it's like taking off clothing. You know, I don't know about you, it isn't that difficult to take off my clothing, clothes in the evening. Now, I will admit it's harder than it was 40 years ago, but it still isn't that difficult to, to take the stuff off. And so what he's saying is, we can remove these things from our life. And we need to stop using everything as, a, as an excuse as to why we can't do it, because that's what it is. It's, a, it's a, an excuse. Taking off clothing and putting on clothing doesn't require that much strength. And so that's how we were to approach um, this sin. Verse 9, do not lie to one another. Since you have put off, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. So he says the reason that we can stop lying to one another is because we've taken off the sin. We've taken off the old man. Now, now notice what this says in the literal. Um, let not one... Uh, do not speak falsely. And so he's saying, don't, don't lie, lie not to one another. Don't, don't speak falsely. In other words, we're, we're to speak out the truth. 
How many of you know his word is the truth? And so when we speak what he says, rather than what we think, we're going to speak truth. And so he says, um, let no one do not speak falsely to another, seeing that you, ha you have or ye have put off, stripped off, spoiled, disarmed, the old man with his deeds, methods of operation. You know, a lot of, you know, you know one of the things that I, I like about Wesleyan, Wesley, you know, the, 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 the Methodist church, um, it's, it's based on, or supposed to be based on his methods. And so his method of operation was to set people free from those operations that dominated their life. You know, uh, if you read uh, the accounts of the Wesley brothers and so forth, you find that they, they, they had a methodology Everything that they did, they had a method. They had a, they had a group of young men that came together and they established methods that they applied in their life to overcome uh, the things of the world that would hold them and others in bondage as well. And so the reason I bring that up, it, it, it's, it, the old man has methods of operation. In the world, there's methods that want to dictate to us where we go, what we do. Well, we can disrobe ourselves of those things. We can take them off, and God gives us a whole new method. And we find that method in His Word. Um, in verse 8, when we were back there, it says, putting off. Uh, it's, it's the Greek word, apothomiae. And, and this putting off is in reference to the deeds or the manifestations of the flesh. And so that put off was talking about, you know, the sexual sins and so on and so forth. In verse 9 it says, put off is the word epikidomii, and it's a, a violent word for disarming an enemy and causing spoil. You know, the Bible talks about how when Jesus whipped the devil that he disarmed him that he, he spoiled him. He made an open display of him. It was, it was an, a, a violent encounter. And, you know, there's a scripture, it says that the violent take it by fourths. And so there's, there's to be this, this attitude where we take a violent position against the flesh. Now, it's not talking about other people's flesh. It's not talking about other people because that's where we'd like to direct it. But it's talking about myself. That I take a, I take a, a violent disarming attitude towards myself that I not give it any place. And through the new birth and through the word of God, we have the victory so that we can walk in the fullness of what Jesus has made available to us. And so it's, it's this, if you want to conquer the deeds, you first have to conquer your attitude. You have to conquer yourself. 
You know, the Bible always says that there's, there's three enemies that we have to deal with. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Well, Jesus defeated the, world, defeated the devil. Amen? And the Bible says that through faith we overcome the world. And so the only real problem we have is ourselves. Your biggest problem is you. <laughs> because, I, and the reason I know that is because my biggest problem is me. If I just didn't have to deal with me, life would be a breeze. But guess what? Every day I got to deal with me. And it's not going to change until me is no longer here. And so, you know, I'm, I'm eager to go to heaven, but not right, right now. You know, so that means I'm going to have to deal with myself. And so that's how it is for all of us. We've got to deal with the flesh. We've got to deal with ourselves. And we start by having this attitude that I've removed that. And when we remove that, it allows us to do something else, which goes on into verse 10. And, and, and again, this is a command as well. To put on, you know, we learned something way back when I was in, in Bible school. Thank God we learned something. <laughs> but I didn't learn this in, in school. I learned this from, well, Dan and Claudia Dennison. They were our neighbors. We were going to school together. And they had, our, our kids were just getting, reaching the age of teenagers, our oldest ones. Their, their kids were already in high school. They were already teenagers. And, and they said, you know, <clears throat> we don't ever take anything away from our kids without giving them something to replace it. In other words, we don't, we don't approach our kids with no, 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 don't, 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 you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, without giving them a you can, you can, you can, you will, you will, you will, and so on and so forth. Well, <clears throat> he told us to remove the flesh. But you know what? If you walk around in your life, with just a bunch of don'ts, you're not gonna be very victorious in life. You're gonna, you're gonna feel like you're defeated all the time because your life is gonna be, you know, <clears throat> when we were first saved, you know, one of the main scriptures that, that I remember hearing out of James was resist the devil. Resist the devil. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And man, I had a lot of devils that were harassing me. And so I resisted the devil, I resisted the devil, I resisted the devil, I resisted the devil, I resisted the devil. And it just didn't seem like I was making very much progress. You know, maybe it appeared that way to others, but it sure didn't to me. Until finally one day I read the whole verse. How many of you know it's a good idea to read the whole verse? Because it's a, it begins with, submit therefore to God. And then it says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Submit therefore to God. And the thing that I found out is when I began to submit to God, I had to do a whole lot less resisting because the submitting took care of the devil. Now we looked at verse eight and nine where it talks about putting off the flesh and putting off the flesh. But if that's as far as you ever went, you would, you would be struggling your entire Christian life and at some point you would say, what's the point? You know, I think that's why a lot of people give up. 
Because they get to the point and they think, I can never do this. I'll never achieve this. Well, it's because they don't go on to verse 10. Shall we go on to verse 10? And put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Put on the new man. And the thing about this is, once again, it's a command. We're told to take off the old man and we're commanded to put on the new man, to put on Christ Jesus. Now let's look at this in the literal again because it's, it's just so good. I won't always attempt to read the Greek words because they mean nothing to us anyway. And put on, in other words, dress yourself. Remember what, what did we do? We, dis, we disrobed of the old man. Now we're, not, we're to put something on. You know, there's a lot of Christians running around half naked because they've, they've disrobed, but they've never replaced it with anything. That's why the Word of God is so wonderful. Because when we take this Word, every time we, we take a promise in the Word of God, we're putting on another piece of clothing. We're putting on another, because really what our clothing is, it's our armor. We're putting on another piece of protection for whatever the attempt, whatever the attack of the enemy might be that would, become, that would come against us. And putting on, dressing yourself, the new man which is renewed, being renewed in knowledge, listen to this, revelation knowledge from the Holy Spirit, this isn't a natural knowledge. You see, you'll never get the knowledge looking in the world. It's revelation knowledge, which comes through the Holy Spirit. And so every time we go to the Word of God, we receive fresh revelation of God. You say, well, pastor, I've already read this before. But I'll tell you something. There's fresh revelation. You've heard me share this before. I've heard, you know, you, you hear somebody preach on a, on a subject and and, and they give their title and you think, oh my, here we go again. I mean, in the last 40 what all years that I've been saved, I can't tell you how many times I've heard preach, somebody preach on John 3.16. The simplest passage in the entire Bible. But you know what? When I hear somebody give their proof text as, I'm preaching out of John 3.16 today, I get excited because I know I'm going to hear something about John 3.16 that I've never heard before. And it'll be revelation knowledge. It'll change what's on the inside of me. And so it, um, after, kete, according to. And so it's according to the image. Exact image. And so that revelation knowledge is going to be according to to the image. Now, think about this for a moment. There's a lot of people that have a false, a wrong image of Jesus. They don't see him as he, as he, as he truly is. They see him as a, well, well, they see Jesus as a good guy, but they see God the Father as, as being mean and as God the Father as being nothing but, uh, but judgment. You know, I remember when we were in Wapaka, Wisconsin, uh, the first year we were up there, 
we had our kids in a Christian school, and in that, in that school, you know, it was, it was really um, pretty difficult for our kids because they were so, they were so lawed up. I mean, Jeff would have to sit in this little cubicle, and if he had a question, he had to put this little flag up, and y'all know Jeff. Can you imagine Jeff in a cubicle for six hours a day? But that's what the poor guy was going through. And, and so, I mean, literally, we'd let him stay home from school because the boy needed a break. You know, and, and Nicole, who abides by every rule, and, and, and one of the rules was if, uh, you know, they, they had certain times during the day that you had to go to the bathroom. You could go to the bathroom. And if you had to go to the bathroom at any other time during the day, um, if you had to go, they'd let you go. But then when you came back, you had to lay your head on your desk until recess time. You had to keep your head on your desk. So everybody knew that Nicole had gone to the bathroom. You know, that's what legalism will do to you. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, Aaron had to go through it because he is in kindergarten at that, that point. But it was, you know, and, and, and then we found out, you know, that um, they, they mocked the Holy Ghost. And, and praying in tongues. And so, you know, the next year we tried to decide what are we going to do? Are we going to send our kids to Christian school? You know, or so we decided to put them in, in public school because I was talking with somebody and I believe this in every area. And she was struggling with the same thing. And she said, God spoke to my heart and said, it's better to have no image of God than a false image of God. You know what we struggle with, with, with getting people to come to Jesus is the false image that they have of God. You know, I, I mean, I've had, had to try to deal with people who, you know, because they were baptized as an infant and because they went through confirmation, you know, everything's hunky-dory, everything's all right in my life because I went through these processes. No, the only process that is going to save your soul is that you'll be born again that you be born into the family of God and that Jesus be your Lord and Savior. And so we put our kids in public school the next year. And, you know, I remember what, you know, one day we asked Jeff, we said, so is it a lot worse in the public school than it was in the, in the Christian school? And he says, well, not really. He said, probably the biggest difference is in public school, when they swear, they swear out loud. And in the Christian school, they'd cover their, their mouth with their hands. So, you know, nobody but the person next to him would be able to hear it. You know, it's like I tell people, don't worry about me. You know, well, we don't want to swear in front of the preacher. Don't worry about it. You know, I'm not the one to be concerned about. You know, because, uh, you know, I'm just a preacher. So anyway, according to the image, exact image of him, Jesus Christ, that created him, the new creation. The exact image of Jesus. And so what this revelation knowledge does, it begins to work into us an exact image of who Jesus is and of what he's done in our lives. Um, you know, and so put off the old man and its deeds. Put on the new man and um, the new man as we are as Christians. Now, what's, what's interesting here, dropping down to number three, the word echion implies 
an exact image as a sculpting or carving. Do you realize that what the Word of God is doing is it's sculpting you. It's carving you into the exact image of Jesus. And so when we look at one another, we ought not to see each other in the flesh. We ought to see what God sees. I know this is scary for some people, but you know, we have such a low self-esteem and so on and so forth. But you know what? When, when God sees you, he sees Jesus because he sees your spirit man. And your spirit man is, is, is a carving, is a sculpting, it's an exact image of who Jesus is. And so what's happening is, remember in, in, verse, in chapter two, we talked about our um, positional truth, where we are positionally right now, positionally, we are seated at the right hand of Father God in high. And right now, positionally, we are the exact image of Jesus. Experientially, things are changing. That sculpting is, is beginning to manifest on the outside of us. And the way that that happens is through the Word of God. You know, every time we go to the Word, it's, it's just like somebody's got a hammer and a chisel and it's just a little pink here and a little pink there. And it's just, it's just knocking off the edges because we're being, we're being conformed. We're being changed into the very image of who Jesus is. We're to be, it's to be like, you know, the Bible talks about that when we look into the Word of God in James, it says it's like looking into a mirror. When you look into the mirror of the Word of God, you ought to see yourself how Jesus says that you are. And the reason that you're able to do that is because you've put on Christ. You've put on the new man. You've already removed the old and you've put on the new. Going on into the 11th verse, it says, where, and of course, remember what he's talking about, that uh, we're, we're created in him, we're created in Christ Jesus, we're in him, where, where? In Christ Jesus, in the place of the new man, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, um, barbarian, uh, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, we're one. You know, and so the biggest danger that we do is we, we look at people on the surface. And so, again, let's look at this in the literal. Where, in which place, in the new man, there is neither, uh, does not exist, in Christ there does not exist. Did you get that? Maybe there is in the world, but in Christ, there does not exist Jew nor Greek, talking about culture, circumcision nor uncircumcision, it's talking about racial, barbarian, Scythian, uh, it's talking about political, uh, bond or free, it's talking about 
the social, but Christ is all and in all. In Christ, <laughs> aren't you glad? There's no Republican and no Democrat. Isn't that a shocker? There, there, there's no racism in Christ. There's no black, white, yellow, orange, pink. You know, we're all, we're all one in Christ. And it's only He that can bring us to that place. And so this scriptural reference is to positional truth. So positionally, why, why, do, why is there so much division? Because we're looking at everything in the surface. We're looking at everything in the natural. If we as Christians would look at everything positionally, we wouldn't see all the division. Because in Christ, there is no division. The object of the Christian life is our outward life. How do we live outward? Our temporal expression. How do we live our everyday life? Um, but we grow up to, ma to match our position or union in Christ. And so what we're doing, see this is where, on the inside, we, we've, we've said this over and over again, in you, you're, the, the, the real you, your spirit man is complete in Christ Jesus, your positional man. But what's happening is on the surface, it's changing. And how does it change? It changes as we change how we see ourselves on the inside. We're already there, we're already perfect, we already have all the blessings of God, they've already been made manifest to us. We may not see it yet, we may not recognize it yet, but the more that we do, the more it's going to express itself on the outside. What's gonna change the church when we know who we are in Christ Jesus? The more we see what he's done in us, and we conform to that image that is on the inside of us. And how do we see that image? We see that image through the Word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way. And what happens then is we begin to change accordingly, according to revelation knowledge. I don't know about you, I've seen, I've seen stuff in the Bible. I, I, I mean, I've heard people preach messages and they say, I gotta do this and gotta do that and gotta do the other thing. And so I try to do it. Works for about a week. Then doesn't work any longer. Why? Because I, I quit doing it. Why did I quit doing it? Because it wasn't revelation. I was just trying to conform to what somebody has tried, tried to convince me to do. You know, it's just like the Word of Faith message. I love the Word of Faith message. My life would be a mess without the Word of Faith message. But I remember in those early days, every teaching that you would hear, there were six six steps to prosperity and eight steps to this and you know and there, there's nothing wrong with the steps because they were trying to direct you on a path to take to get to that place of victory but if you don't ever get past the steps if it doesn't ever become part of your life it was kind of like when I when I graduated from trade school I went to to plumbing school and you know you you learned all the formulas for all the angles and, and everything else. You know, if you've got a, a pipe here and you've got a pipe here, you, 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 you get the distance and you, you use the, the formula 1.41 and, and then you subtract the, the fittings and you've got the length of your pipe. 
And so you get on the job, you know, first job after getting out of trade school, and you, you get the measurement, and so you sit down with your, your, your pace, paper and pencil, and you start figuring it out, and, and uh, the boss finally comes over and says, why don't you just do this with your tape measure? You know, because he doesn't want you to waste all your time going through the formulas and so forth. Well, <clears throat> there, there has to come a point in time where it's like this. It just comes naturally, and you get the dimensions and so forth. You know, but most of us, we're trying to take the steps because they said you do this, and then you do this, and then you do this. But you know, eventually what happens, you just do this. And you're there, and you walk in the victory. That's what the Christian life is. You know, maybe we need the baby steps when we get started, but at some point, we need to be able to take a full stride. You know, and because you can't run until you can take a full stride. And so, anyway. It's our daily living. That's what he's talking about here. That's, what this, that, that's what's so wonderful about Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians and, 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 uh, and uh, Philippians. They are everyday activity that we apply in our life to live the victorious life. And that's why, you know, Brother Hagin always said this. He said, we need to read the whole Bible, but we need to spend the, the majority of our time in the New Testament, and the majority of that time we need to spend in the epistles because it's been written to us. And so we can take it and apply it in our lives. And when we do, all at once, you know what? We're not controlled by temporal truth any longer. We begin to be controlled by our, our positional truth. I don't, I don't remember what the name of the lady was. This, this is years back. Um, she had a book that came out. And, and in the book, um, I mean, this is, this, is an, this is a live story, an actual story. And, uh, and, and so she was pregnant. And while she was pregnant, um, her appendix exploded. You know, maybe some of you remember the story, but I, I can't remember the name of the lady. Uh, and, and so, but they didn't know it. And so it um, got into all of her organs and so forth. And, and uh, they basically said that she was going to die. You know, that's what happened to an aunt of mine. She, her appendix burst when she was pregnant and she never made it through it. And, uh, and so she's, she's laying in bed, and, you know, and they'd, they'd basically given her up for dead. And, and uh, she's, she's, here she is in bed. And believe it or not, this, this, this relates to what we're talking about here. So just, just stay with me. And so while she's laying in bed, she says, one afternoon, and, and she's unconscious, uh, you know, in a coma. She's not able to communicate with anybody. But while she's laying in her bed, um, this man comes in the room, and she said she, she recognized him right away when she came, he came in as a, he's a black man. And she said, I never liked the man, always made me nervous. And said he came in and he sat down and he began to read the scriptures to her. And as he is reading the scriptures to her, you know how, you know, when, when the sunlight comes in through the window and you can see the little dust the particles and everything in the air. She said she saw that coming in through the window while he was reading the scriptures to her, but it, was, it wasn't dust particles, it was the word of God. 
And it, and it came to her. And um, anyway, he read for, the while, for a while and he got up and, and he left. And, and uh, she was completely healed. She came out of the coma. You know, and of course, the doctors are, are shocked that she came out of the coma. And, they, and, and so they, they messed up in the kitchen and she wanted to order something. And, you know, it was supposed to be liquid. And, and instead, she asked for a sandwich or a steak or something like that. And they brought it to her and she ate it. And, and the doctor finally comes in and says, oh, this is going to be terrible. You know, you may be conscious now, but all of your organs are gone. Nothing is going to work right. And she says, well, I have to go to the bathroom. She went to the bathroom and she says, everything's working right. You know, and, uh, but I mean, she is completely healed. This is a point that I wanted to get to in the story. She was extremely prejudiced. Christian lady, extremely, you know, just despised any other culture or whatever. And she said she she come out of that coma and she looked out the window and she saw a black person walking across the yard and she says, I just totally felt love for him. You know what? She wasn't able to change that. You know what the answer for all the issues that we see around us with racism and everything else? It's, it's a very simple answer. It's Jesus. It's, it's the one who is the answer for every problem that we encounter in life. Well, Pastor, I know Christians that are extremely prejudiced. They're looking at the temporal. They're not looking at their positional, their, 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 their permanent position in Christ Jesus. Because if they were looking at the new man, it would change. It'd change. It'd change. And it wouldn't be their effort that would do it. It would be his work in them. Then we go on into verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put, no, put on tender mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Therefore, as the elect why are we able to do this? Because we're the elect of God. Why are we able to dress in the new man? Because we're the elect of God. And so as the elect of God, we can put on holiness. We can put on tender mercy. We can put on kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And, and of course, this is all expressed towards others how we relate to others. It all changes as we dress ourselves in that new clothing, that new man that we are in Christ Jesus. And so what this verse is talking about is talking about us, how we respond to others, our actions towards others. You know, <clears throat> the whole thing about the kingdom of God, the whole thing about the Christian life, we always think it's all about us. And that's why we, 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 get, we get messed up because we think it's about us and we don't realize it's really about others. It's about, it's about them. It's not about me. And so we're the elect. And so when we're talking about the election, it's all members of the human race our potential to be the elect. 
Not everybody is the elect. Those that haven't received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they're not. But you know what? They have the potential of it. They can if they would but give themselves to Christ. Christ was elected from eternity past. You know, the Bible says that he was crucified before the foundation of the world. He was placed in his position before the, the world was, was even created. He was elected for that. Election is the foundation of the church. Every one of us within the church are part of the elect. We've been chosen to be part of the body of Christ. And, and so why do we go around with this, this inferiority complex or this, this, this thing that we deal with all the time? We need to see ourselves the way he sees us. Well, I've got several things there that talk about the election. The last one is uh, orientation to election comes from understanding the, war, the word of God and positional truth. Understanding who you are comes from understanding the word of God as it's being revealed to us once again through the work of the Holy Spirit. We want our lives to change. It's going to be through the Word of God and through the revelation that comes through the Holy Spirit. That's what brings about that change in our life. Verse 13. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So forgiveness isn't a choice. It's something that we must do. Forbearing, enduring, standing your ground in love with one another. So, you know, the Bible says when you've done all to stand, stand therefore. You know, we always talk about it from the context of dealing with the enemy. But you know what? Sometimes where these truths come in, we need to take a stand. We need to take a position. We need to refuse to be moved from it. We need to take our stand, our position in love and forgiving one another. Forgiving in grace, not, no strings attached. You know, uh, you know some, some people for, forgive on, uh, um, what's the word that I want? On uh, installment plan. You know, they, they forgive a little bit here and if you do, we'll forgive a little more. But, you know, the grace of God, God didn't forgive you a little bit. Jesus didn't forgive you a little bit. He forgave all, past, present, and future. And so, no strings attached. And so, uh, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel, a complaint against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. In the same way that he's forgiven us, we need to be willing to forgive others. Verse 14. But above all, above all, above anything else, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And so once again, love is something we put on. Do you ever notice <clears throat> that to love one another was never presented to us as an option? is a command. And the thing about it is, is if, if God commands us to do something, if we're not able to do it, 
then he would be an unfair God. If we're supposed to do something that is absolutely impossible for us to do, God would be unfair. But you know what? He commands us to love, and you know what that means? We can do it. Doesn't mean that it's easy, but we can do it because he commands us to love one another. Let's look at this in the literal because it's so important. And above, upon, epe, all these things put on charity, agape, divine love, and divine love is unconditional, and that's why it's talking about agape love there, which is, I, I, I like this, this is what I wanted to get to, which is the bond, the adhesive, the glue of perfect, um, perfect, perfect, perfectness. I don't know if that's even a word. Maturity. When the Bible talks about perfection, you know, because when I think of perfection, I think of having no fault, no default, nothing wrong with it, it's perfect. What he's talking about is that we're to reach maturity. And he said it's, it's the bond of love, it's the adhesive of love that'll bring us to that place of maturity. Remember what it says in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, where it's talking about, starts in the 11th verse, where it's talking about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that they're given for the equipment of the saints, for the work of the ministry, until we all reach that perfect man or that mature man. You see, that's what the Word of God does. It brings us to that place as a people to maturity as a church, it brings us to that place of maturity. And it's, it's love, the adhesive, that's gonna hold us together. You know, <clears throat> we can be a people of faith, we can have all the truths, you know, but, it, but it's like any building. You're gonna have all the best materials in the world, but, but if they're not connected, that building, isn't, isn't going to stand. You know, a bricklayer, he gets out there and he starts laying those bricks. But let me tell you something. If he doesn't put the, 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 the mud in between, it's not going to stay together because all of those bricks, it's that, it's that mud that's the adhesive that holds everything together. We're all like a bunch of bricks. You know, we're, we're stones in the building of God, in the church of God. We all have different edges and, and whatever it may be. And you know what? Every one of us will be just going our own way, doing our own thing, whatever it may be. There'll be nothing connecting us unless there be love. And you see, it's, it's that love that's the, that the adhesive that holds us together. Even if we mess up and we hurt one another, because it happens, amen? Love is the adhesive that holds us together. You take a family, a family has, has struggles, has difficulties that they go through. But, but what holds them together? Where, where there isn't any love, there isn't any adhesive. But where there's the love, there's the adhesive, that which is gonna hold it together so that we can deal with those issues or whatever it might be that we encounter. And so love is that important element. And it's divine love. It's not, it's not human love. 
It's not phileo or something like that. It's, it's agape love because it's, it's an unconditional love. It's, it, it, it's that bond of maturity that brings us to that place where we grow. You know, I, I think about my mom and dad. You know, I remember as a kid when they went through some, some difficult times. I remember mom coming upstairs and getting in bed with, with us because she was so ticked off at dad. You know, because he'd probably gone on a bender or something. And, and uh, you know, th there was always that, that you know, what's going to happen here? You know, but, but they loved each other. And so that was an adhesive that held them together. And so, you know, when dad died almost two years ago now, he was, uh, they were within a month of celebrating their 75th wedding anniversary. But you know what? If it hadn't been the adhesive of love, and there were a few years there, I didn't think they loved each other very much. In fact, if you would have asked them, they probably would have told you they didn't love each other very much. You know, but those, those last 20 years of their life, I don't know what they would have done without one another, that, that love adhesive. You know, and <clears throat> at, at Dad's funeral, the, the chaplain from the, um, uh, the, the, the uh, nursing home I said funeral home just about. It was prior to the funeral home. You know, was there and he talked about mom and dad and how everybody in the, uh, in the place talked about, you know, how uh, they would be in their wheelchairs together holding hands, you know, at the age of, you know, nine to three years old. Well, my dad was almost 97. But, you know, anyway, love is the adhesive. And so why do we in the church think that anything else would hold us together? You know, because we have even less in common with one another. But you see, when we begin to get into the Word of God, and that's why it's so important to, to, to fellowship with those, the Bible refers to it as like precious faith. Why do we need to fellowship with those of like precious faith? Because it's, it, it's, that, it's that revelation knowledge that we have in common with one another that releases that love to bind us together so that we can deal with any, any situation that we encounter because the situations are out there. Verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were called in one body and be faithful. And so we've been called to one body. We're to be faithful. I guess we're going to have to finish with this verse. And let the peace of God, Christ, it's Christos, so it's talking about the peace of Christ, rule, uh, bonomo, be the umpire or govern. Allow, <clears throat> you know what this is telling us? That our life, when we're doing what he talked about in the prior verses, is going to bring, bring peace into our life. And that peace that it brings into our life, because we're following after the Word of God, is able to direct our life. And it can direct our life into all victory. Well, I want to share a few more things about that, but uh, we don't have time tonight. And so let's just, uh, let's just close there, and, and uh, we'll pick up in verse 15. Uh, next week, it'll just take us a short time to get through the next couple of verses, and then we'll get into um, the next lesson. So, be blessed. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in Jesus' name, amen.